It's been great these past few weeks to sit back and listen to Pastor Eric expound on the Beatitudes, the part of the Sermon on the Mount where we hear these eight blessings that Jesus pronounces upon the people. Of course, it began with blessed are the poor in spirit and then blessed are those that mourn. And I was reflecting as I was thinking about this portion of Scripture on my trip to Israel just a few years ago. It was great to see all those sights and experience that location where Jesus would have done so many of his miracles, so many, much of his teaching, and especially there around the Sea of Galilee. And I, I really remember that day that we went up there on the Mount of Beatitudes. I have a picture of it here. This is, the, this is the top of the mount, so you don't really see where we are. But we are there in that area where likely Jesus gave this message, this Sermon on the Mount. And you see here looking out over the, over the Sea of Galilee, what a, what a great view these folks would have had as they would have come together to, to hear as Jesus went up there with his disciples. But so much uh, interest in his teaching that the crowds followed him and they would have been there and had this incredible view. But on the top there of the mount is also a path, a walkway, a beautiful walkway, and along with some amphitheaters, and we were able to do a service in one of those. But along the walkway is, uh, are the uh, stone monuments, small stone monuments, memorializing the Beatitudes. And so you walk by and you see, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those of the mourn. And then you come to the third stone monument there, and it says this, and here's a picture of it. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Now, many of your versions probably say earth. That's a common translation. But here in Israel, where land is important, they, they say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. This is actually taken by Jesus from Psalm of David, Psalm 37, verse 11. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. So what is this word meek? You know, as I've read and studied, it seems like the one commonality amongst commentators is that this is a difficult word to understand. It's a difficult word not just because of our of our understanding of meek a lot of times equals weak, but that we don't understand really what it meant in the New Testament time. If you go to our dictionaries today, and I did that, and I found some definitions, things like meek is a deficit in spirit and courage. And we think of that as being a deficit. It's not quite there. Overly submissive, compliant, spineless are <laughs> definitions of meek. And so if we have that in our mind of what Jesus is talking about, a spineless individual, then we start to wonder, Jesus, what do you mean here? And we don't want any of that because we equate meekness to weakness. We think if you're meek, you're one of those people, you're a doormat. People are going to walk all over you. And because of this misunderstanding, then we react in ways that are just the opposite. We become anti-meek or anti-weak. And we become more assertive. We become louder. We become more demonstrative. And we become more demanding. Both to God and to those around us. Just look at our society. 
People demand to be heard. People demand their way. They don't want to be known as being weak, as being a doormat, as being spineless. And they find it works. Many times the squeaky wheel does get the grease. I was reminded of an episode of MASH, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And one thing I've always liked about MASH was the way they treated the spiritual leader, Father Francis Mulcahy. You know, if you watch a lot of TV shows, comedies, or even dramas, usually the priest or the pastor, the reverend, the minister doesn't come across real well. It seems like, and maybe for good reason, they're treated as people who are uh, abuse power. <laughs> even, you know, it seems like uh, there's always some major defect uh, in the spiritual leader. But Father McKay, he was always treated with respect in this show. He was allowed to keep his integrity. And I really appreciated that about that show. But one show in particular, he was a little bit out of sorts. And we all get out of sorts at times. And he was out of sorts because he had been continually passed over for promotion. And so again, he had been passed over the list to come out and his name was not on it. And he, had, he was just sure he was going to get that promotion. And so he was angry and he was letting people know that he was angry. Until finally, Colonel Potter was able to intervene and pulled some strings and, and got Father Mulcahy that um, promotion that he deserved. And it was interesting because at the end of that, and, and Father McKay was very grateful, he made uh, this comment about his new discovery. He said, the meek may inherit the earth, but it's the grumpy who get promoted. <laughs> it's the grumpy. And that's the way, isn't it that the way we find in our lives? You know, we, we think uh, that, that uh, meekness is, might be a good thing, but meekness doesn't get the job done. Being meek, being weak, being a doormat, it doesn't get the job done. And so we go do it ourselves. And like Father McKay, he found it's the grumpy who get promoted. It's the squeaky wheel who gets the grease. So we got to ask ourselves, if that's the case, what is Jesus talking about here? What is Jesus talking about when he says the meek will inherit the earth if we can't even get a promotion? What is this meekness? Most commentators say this is a difficult word, as I mentioned before, to, to, to grasp. And it's, it's likely some combination of gentleness and self-control. Some people have said that meekness is strength under control. When talking about how this Greek term, praus, for meek, was used in the time of Jesus. One commentator says that this term is extremely colorful. It's used in all facets of life. It's used in the medical field. For a doctor, the, you, this term, praus, meek, would denote a soothing medicine. Someone with a fever or illness would be applied this soothing medicine, this meek medicine to care and bring down that fever. For a sailor, this term was used as a gentle breeze. Now, not necessarily the gentle, the breeze that would push a boat, but I don't know if you've ever been out on the lake on a hot day and, the, and it's still, 
anywhere where you're out and it's still hot, the sun's beating down on you, how pleasant a gentle breeze is. The cooling breeze that refreshes. That's this word praus, this meek word. Farmers used it for breaking of a young horse, the taming of a horse, you know, taking that wild horse and making it useful. Prowls, and that's the strength under control. All of these are strength under control. Medicines, drugs can do much damage. We know that. But when it's under control, it brings healing. Wind can do much damage. We've seen that. Brought under control can do much good. And a horse broken can also do much good. Meekness, self-control, strength under control. I think for some of us, we might be surprised at what the Bible has to say about the man who confronted the great Pharaoh and led Israel, we're told possibly up to a million people, out of slavery and out of Egypt. Numbers 12.3 says this about Moses. He says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. <laughs> now the context of this verse was that Moses was receiving criticism. And he was receiving criticism not just from anybody, but from his family. His sister and his brother. It's interesting if you read through that passage that God is, is, is a little fed up and he calls them all together. He says, come out, everybody, get out here now. <laughs> but Moses, the meek, did not see a need to defend himself because he knew God would defend himself. God would defend Moses. We see other meekness. Strength under control, power under control as we look through the Old Testament. There was the passage of David when David was being chased by Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. And David was in a cave unbeknownst to Saul and Saul comes in very vulnerable. David had all the chance in the world to do away with them and his, his guys were yelling and they're not yelling, they were whispering, get, get rid of him. This is your chance. David had all the strength, all the power in that situation. He said, no, I can't do this to the Lord's anointed. And he didn't take action. He didn't assert himself. He didn't become demonstrative. I also remember the story of Abraham. Abraham called out by God to go to this promised land, this Canaan land. He took family with him, and he's in a situation where he's got a family dispute. Oh, Lot just wasn't happy, his nephew. And so here's Abraham who has the promise of everything, all the land. And he tells Lot, go ahead, take what you want. It was Abraham who had the power. It was Abraham who had the authority. But a meek man was not going to fight for 
what he was, what he deserved at the expense of family unity. And, and so he backed off, not a doormat, but strength under control. And of course, the greatest example we have of strength under control of meekness is Jesus. When faced with the cruel, unjust crucifixion, the prophet Isaiah wrote many years before this about the Messiah. He said this, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. The context here is Jesus had been beaten. He is being murdered. And as we know, he could have called 10,000 angels. He had that power, that authority, that strength within him. But he chose not to use it because he was meek. In fact, he calls himself that. That Greek term, praus, meek, is used two more times in Matthew. It's only used four times in the whole New Testament, three here in Matthew. And the other two times, it both refers to Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, praus, meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus is not asking us and is not blessing something that he is not. <laughs> he says, I am meek, I am gentle, I am praus. And I am humble in heart. Then we see this description of Jesus. As he rode into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday when everybody's crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says this, see your king comes to you, gentle, praus, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus comes, power, strength, but under control. So what does that mean for us today? What does it mean to be meek, understanding what we've just heard about Moses and David and Abraham and Jesus and this strength under control? How do we do this balancing act of, of being meek but not being weak? Not being assertive, but not being a doormat. How do I apply that in my life? Well, as I was thinking about that, there's, there's another way that in the time of Jesus, this word praus, meek, was used. And I think it's very applicable for us today. And it was related to their speech. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Improving Your Serve, writes a little bit about this. And he makes this statement regarding prowess or meekness. He says that in the days of Jesus, it was carefully chosen words that soothe strong emotions. Those were referred to as gentle words, prowess words. Carefully chosen words that soothe strong emotions. 
Boy, <laughs> do we need that today or what? In the midst of everything that's going on, in the midst of all the debates, in the midst of, midst of an upcoming election, in the midst of all that's going on in our, in our tensions in our society today, we need folks who can stand up with carefully chosen words that soothe strong emotions. I admit, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. I, I remember, I was trying to think when it was, probably in the late 1990s. I was in a situation where two of my friends, two of my uh, people who had been in our class, Sunday school class, our young adult class, and had, had been there in the church for years with me. Two men, two friends of mine, were having a dispute. And it was a, it was a fairly serious dispute. And so somehow I was, I don't know if I appointed myself or I was elected to be a mediator between the two. One night I invited them to my accounting office and we got into the conference room and I'm between them and and we're trying to work this out. And emotions were high. And the words back and forth were starting to um, get a little heated. What a perfect time for a carefully chosen word that would soothe emotions. Unfortunately, I didn't have those words that day. I remember it well because they was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and I was getting so frustrated. And finally, I just raised my fist and I brought it down on the table. Boom! The table shook. I was angry. Not my best moment. And definitely not my brightest moment because earlier that day I had just had a cast removed from my wrist because I had a broken bone in my wrist. <laughs> well, everybody stopped at that time. <laughs> they're looking at me and they're saying, are you okay? And I'm there holding my wrist and wondering if I'm okay. Well, the good news is I don't know. I never went to see if it was done any damage. It uh, seemed to heal, and, although it's still gives me problems for arthritis from time to time. But what, I looked back on that and said, oh, that was a time for a carefully chosen word to soothe strong emotions. The people with prowess or meekness were known to be polite, to have tact, to be courteous, to treat others with dignity and respect. They were called gentle people, meek, prowess. I think the world needs that. We need less fist slammers and more people who have the gentle words that can bring peace, that can speak love and joy and, 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 and grace into situations. That's a meek person. Polite, tactful, courteous, treating people with dignity and respect. I think it's that put others first mentality. Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount in just a few verses from here. And he, he says things like this. When someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. I think that's a meek person. He says when someone demands that you take, go and carry their load the, the one mile, go the second mile. 
Jesus isn't saying being a door, be a doormat. But he's calling us to meekness. He says if someone sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. How's that for meekness? You know, there's a, there's a humility, there's a humbleness that comes with meekness. And I think very well because of this that we always need to remember, that meekness knows its own fallibility. You know, none of us are right all the time. None of us have it all together. None of us have perfect discernment. None of us have any right to be prideful in our positions, in our thoughts. Knowing that we are fallible. Moses, he was meek. The Bible tells us the meekest person on earth at that time. Maybe, maybe he needed to hear some criticism. Sometimes in our meekness, maybe we need to hear someone speak to us. David, he knew that God only knows the heart of men and what's going on in Saul. Maybe there was something redeemable in Saul. He had no right to end his life. Abraham. Maybe Abraham potentially had, had dealt, could deal with greed. And, and this was one way of, of dealing with that. You see, the meek person knows they're fallible. They could be wrong. A meek person is always learning. Always seeking Truth. Engaging in conversation, discerning its own errors, and changing when necessary. You know, Paul encourages gentle treatment of others. And he, as he does that, he also warns us of our own fallibility. In Galatians 6, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, there before the grace of God go I. There's no room for cockiness in a meek person. The meek person is strength under control, but also ego under control, passions under control. And we can't do that alone. We do that through the infilling presence, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He changes us. He brings meekness to us. We don't have to retaliate. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to elevate ourselves. We don't even have to win. <laughs> because I am content in where God has me and what God is doing in my life. Matthew 5, 5, out of the message, says this. I just love this. It, it was brought out to us in our group on Wednesday night as we were studying. 
It says you are blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the meek. I'm content with what God has for me. I don't need to be demonstrative. I don't need to be crying out for more. I don't need to be a squeaky wheel. And then it says that the moment, that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. The land. You know, it's not going to be too many years down the road until the Romans and the Zealots are having bloody battles over this land. And yet they don't possess that land today, do they? The meek will inherit the earth or the land. You know, I kind of jokingly said, you know, the poor in spirit, they get to, they get to inherit the kingdom of God. Here the meek, we get dirt. <laughs> but it's much more than just dirt. In fact, this, this term inherit is, is, is rich in the, in the Old Testament. It's a rich term and it's used over 200 times. And typically it's, it's now it's, it's used in um, inherit the land or your inheritance, the land. I don't think we need to define inheritance like we do meekness. Most of us know what inheritance is. It's receiving a gift. It's receiving a gift generally be from somebody after they've passed based on that special relationship that we had with them. And this theme of inheriting the land really started with Abraham, with God's promise to Abraham. When he sent him to the promised land, he said, this will be inheritance for you and your descendants and it'll be inheritance forever. It's the promised land. It's the land promised to Abraham. It's the land that Moses led the Israelite nation back to. It's the land that David reigned over. And as the biblical history unfolded, however, the land so many times was seized from the people. This concept then of promised land tended to take on a, a different message. In fact, by the start of the New Testament, this land had been passed around so many times and just in between the Testaments but to the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, this thought of promised land began to become much more of a spiritual thought, a theological thought. Not dirt, not an acre, but a presence with God. By the time Jesus came, that this thought of the promised land was now being with God, being in the everlasting relationship with him, having eternal life. In fact, that's why folks would come to, to the rabbis and say, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just like the rabbi did, just like the individual did to Jesus in Matthew 19. And of course, Jesus had the answer for that. He said, I've come to bring you eternal life. It's yours. That promised land is available to you. But he had to do something for that to happen. And Hebrews chapter 9, verses, verse 17 brings this out so well. He says, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. 
because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It never takes effect until the one who made it is living. While the one who made it is living. You see, it took the death of Jesus Christ and then his ultimate resurrection to bring us this eternal life, to give us this inheritance, to make this promised land real for us and for everyone. And the meek will inherit that promise. Paul talks about inheritance all through his writings. We, we, we dealt with that in Ephesians. Peter tells us this, this inheritance will never perish, never spoil, never fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. And so we all get to inherit the land. We all get to inherit the earth. We all get to enjoy eternal life. And when we look around, we are going to see a lot of meek people. So what are you going to do this week? How can I become meek? You know, there are some questions at the end of this message that will go on your screen. I encourage you to take time and look through those and consider your meekness. Consider how this week God may be moving in your life to make you more meek, less assertive, less demonstrative, less loud. And to serve others, to love others, and to lead others into relationship with Jesus Christ who promises eternal life, a promised land that is sure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, this message. Thank you for your teachings to us on meekness. But Lord, even more than that, your demonstrations to us of meekness. Lord, help us to rise to the challenge, to put others before ourselves, to not just think of our own goodwill or good wealth, but Lord, to consider you may have us in a place, in a time for just a moment such as this, where we can in meekness demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to a world that is in turmoil, in emotional distress, and in much hurt. Lord, help us. Fill us with your spirit to enable us to be imitators of you in all ways, but this week, especially in our meekness, And we ask it in that precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, amen. Thank you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.